Good morning, everyone. I want to thank uh, Pastor Kyle and the church leadership um, gave me this opportunity to share amongst you all uh, from the most precious treasure ever. That's the Word of God. And it's not about me, it's about Jesus. It's not about you, it's about Jesus. Because He's the one who's the source of everything. Through Him, everything was created. And I don't come here with the, the beautiful words that really impress everyone. And I don't even come here to show off that I would be a, a good speaker from India. <laughs> but all it takes is to be submissive. As a, as a leader or as a speaker, I need to be submissive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And as listeners, we all have to be ready from the core of our hearts to listen what God has to say and to talk to each one of us. And so, let the Holy Spirit move in our place because nothing happens if we just do it from, from here. And that's just the knowledge that we collect our entire lives. But you know, uh, revival is not just uh, something that happens once in a millennium. It's not something that happens once in a decade. Revival has to be every time the Word of God is preached. Every time when we pray, there has to be revival. There has to be a step forward in the presence of God. So I'm really very glad to be here and I thank God, first of all, for giving me this, this opportunity and choosing me to share from His Word. And uh, Pastor Kyle, he, he sent me a message a few weeks ago, and he said that, would I be willing to share and preach um, for this day? And I'm really glad because uh, I came here in January. I think it was 8th of January, and I was really delighted to be amongst you all, and I really felt very joyful. And even today, um, he's given me the... Uh, chapters from Exodus chapter 25 to 31, and uh, oh, there are so many things in that, and uh, Pastor Kyle told me that you have 30 minutes to, to share that, and uh, again, a very, very big challenge for me as an Indian pastor, once again, to, he asked me, so what was your longest uh, preaching, and again, not to boast, but uh, our church members, a lot of them, they, they record, and it was two hours and 40 minutes, the sermon that the longest that I preached. And it's not that I, I'm a very good speaker, but uh, our Indian people, they, they're very simple and they need a lot of time to actually understand the things. But here people are very smart, uh, and they understand in very less time what the speaker has to say, so... Uh, I'm very grateful to God for uh, that He brought me here and um, gave me an opportunity to scrutinize the time and to limit uh, uh, and share from His Word. So anyways, uh, we'll be looking through 25 to 31, the chapters of Exodus. And I was, uh, when I came here, I saw there was hanging on the wall, it says, journeying through the wilderness. And it's true, we all are journeying through the wilderness of this life. And wilderness basically means that it's not something that we have desired or we have planned. We are just going through it. It's not our permanent place. 
we are heading towards our destination. And uh, in this journey of life, we need to, to understand what God has in store for us, what He has planned for us, His purposes, His plans are for our benefit and not for our harm. So these chapters, uh, there are so many things, you know, there are, the texts have been uh, divided into many, 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 many parts. But these chapters are a detailed pattern of a tabernacle that God told Moses to build. And uh, the pattern is so detailed that anybody would think that it's super easy to draw it and then make it. But in fact, there's still ambiguity in exactly how it looked in many of its aspects. You know, I have written it because English is not my first language, so there are so many things I need to write it down so, uh, because the other thing is that half an hour is again, I uh, have to be very attentive to that as well. So this is a time when Moses was with, was with God on Mount Sinai for 40 days. And because you've been going through the book of Exodus, you know all the details um, uh, from the past, what you have listened here. And the instructions were, orally given to Moses, along with the written commands of God, the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses uh, for, the, for the Israelites, for his people. And Moses would also would have seen images to really understand that when it is made in the process of that, he would really imagine it and see that what he saw on Mount Sinai, it really matches with that. But Exodus 25 to 31, and when you'll go further, Exodus 35 to 40, they are almost exactly same. The words used, the things, everything, the detailed pattern, it's almost exactly same. Those chapters, 35 to 40, and uh, chapter 25 to 31. The only difference is that it's broken up by the golden calf experience. That was the, the central part of it. And then again, God had to describe all these things. So, when I read through this, because I had to prepare and ask God, Lord, what do you want people to listen? And even for us, for everyone, for a speaker and for the listeners. What do you want us to learn from this? And there, there are some points that I understood. And there are many points. But I chose two to share with us this morning. The first thing is the purpose of the tabernacle. Why to make the tabernacle? But the purpose flows from God himself. It's not from the, the human perspective. People didn't want that. They never asked for that. But it's the purpose flows from God's throne. And the reason is, the first point is, that it's God's desire to dwell with his people. And today, I would like to encourage every one of us here that let's be prepared with our hearts to move further in in bold faith and in obedience to learn and know more about our God. And to move, taking a step more into the presence, nearer to God. From the very beginning, if we see in Genesis, God made this Garden of Eden. With Adam and Eve, he wanted to be with them. It's God's desire. He has always wanted to be with his people. And when we see in the book of Revelation, in chapter 20, 21, 22, even there he, wanted, he wants his people to be with him. That's the main idea of everything that we read in the scriptures. It's all about God with his people and his people with their God. 
This church has a very interesting name, Emmanuel, because Emmanuel means God with us. That was the name given to Jesus. He was to be called Emmanuel. In everything that we see, there's the shadow of the purpose, the plan of God that he wants to dwell with his people. How amazing that is. We are not serving a God who is who's far, far, far place and we just shout and we just praise and, and try to make him attentive to our prayers and our calls. But he's already with us and it's his desire to be with us all the time. It's like the, uh, like the radio. Already there are these songs and these broadcasts in the air, in the space. But we tune in the radio to the perfect station that we want to hear. It's already there. But we cannot hear until it's tuned perfectly to it. God is already speaking to his people. Bible says that Jesus said that my sheep hear my voice. It doesn't say that they will have to. They already hear, but they don't recognize it because sometimes it's not tuned in. But when we, the people of God, are perfectly tuned, otherwise it will be, uh, uh, but when it's tuned perfectly, then you hear the real things that is already broadcasted. In the same way, God is already talking to his people. Sometimes we don't hear him. Sometimes you don't want to hear him. The other day I was at, um, at a home of somebody who's, who's elderly, and he invited us. He would have heard about us and invited us over the supper. And he shared one story. He talked about uh, an author named George Bernard Shaw. You would have heard about him. He's, he was not a Christian author. But he wrote in his 20s, I think. In 1920s or something. Or in his 20s, I don't know. He, he said that if Jesus would be in our time, we would have killed him the same way they killed him 2,000 years ago. Because... He was so honest, he was so true that people couldn't stand what he said. What if Jesus would be in this time, in time of ours? He's so honest, he's so true, he will speak directly what's going on and he will talk to our face the things that are wrong in us. Are we going to be in the mob that wants to crucify him, kill him? Or would we be really surrendering and being submissive to him? what he has to say, and sacrifice all those things which are so dearly to us. The main idea is that God wants to be with his people. Let's open our Bibles, uh, chapter 25, verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. We all remember in, in chapter 12 of Exodus, God prompted the hearts of the Egyptians to give gold, silver, and clothing to the Israelites before they left. Because they had asked. Israelites asked for gold and all those things. But nobody would give all these things. The Bible says that God prepared their hearts so that when they leave, they had all this gold and silver and clothing. And Bible says they plundered the Egyptians when they left. So they were slaves for 430 years in this country. But again, when they are out with this freedom, they are full of the treasures. And Bible says that God told them 
God told Moses to tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. And what should that be? These offerings are the, these are the offerings. Third verse, you are to receive from them. What should that be? Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen, and, and so on. So basically, God is asking for voluntary gifts, voluntary offerings. And that has been God always. He never forces us to do anything or never forces us to give anything. He wants us to be voluntarily ready to offer gifts to him. Offer our lives voluntarily to him. He's such a God, he could just break open the sky and he would just, if he says in his mighty voice that repent, every person on the face of the earth will be on his knees to repent. But he doesn't do that. Because he's a God who wants people to voluntarily submit to him. Even like Adam and Eve. God never forced them. He would have stopped the hands of Eve and Adam not to eat that fruit. But he didn't do that. Because he wants people to love him to such an extent. Bible says loving him with an undying love. The love which is incorruptible. That cannot be corrupted and wavered by the situations of this world. Such a mighty God we serve. And not just serve. Such a mighty God who's our father, who's our Lord, who's our king. So basically, Bible says that let them give, offer these gifts for the tabernacle. And if we see it carefully, so God is not asking something that they really actually worked for. They didn't labor for that, for that gold and silver. They just got as gifts by themselves. So now God is asking everything that is already a gift to these people. God is not asking something that they had sacrificed a lot for that. Nothing. They just asked and God prompted the hearts of the Egyptians and they gave it to them. And now God is asking the same. And even from that, he's not asking give everything that they gave. He's saying whatever whose hearts prompts them to give and whatever, however. And it's the same way with us. Whatever our hearts are ready to give to the Lord, let's give it. And whatever we give into the hands of God. You know, there was a picture I saw many, many years ago. There was this, this earth. And in a hand, there was a pencil. And it shows that, see, God created this earth so beautiful in just six days. People go to visit on the weekends and vacations to so many places to just watch, have that glimpse of the beauty in just that particular area. But the whole earth, it's so beautiful. And God created it in six days. Everything that exists that we see and even that we don't see. How beautiful and amazing it would be if we, as the children of God, submit our lives to him. All our lives. If six days is in which God can create such a beauty, how amazing it would be if we offer our lives to him and in our lives, how beautiful it can make, he can make our lives. So anyways... You know, uh, I talked about that there was uh, a breakup with this golden calf experience. So the same jewelry, the same gold and silver that was supposed to be used for the tabernacle purpose. Bible says, you know, later you can read it in the, in the later weeks you will hear probably about it. That that same gold, Aaron asked the people to bring that gold. They put it in the fire. And they hammered and they, and they made a golden calf out of it. The offering that God was asking for the purpose of the tabernacle 
was actually used for the golden calf. Because the enemy wants everything that God wants, he wants to spoil it so that the name of the Lord be ashamed through his people. Because he cannot challenge God himself. So he always looks for the weak, weak points. He couldn't stand in front of the face of God to do anything against him. So he chose Adam and Eve to spoil them, to break the heart of God. And he's in the same business. Even now the enemy's in the same business. He wants to spoil his people, God's people, so that he can hurt God. And sadly, it's, it's just moving on in the same way. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? So what do we bring to this temple? We are the temple of God. We are the tabernacle of God. The word tabernacle, verse 8, it says, it means to dwell in Hebrew. The root word of it means to dwell. So the tabernacle means the dwelling place of God. And the dwelling place of God at this time, we are, our bodies. And collectively, we as a church, God lives in us. His presence dwells among us. And it's not about our body. It's about the real us. It's about the real you that God is concerned. This body is perishable. It will just, it will just go. God will give us new bodies. The presence of God is what makes the tabernacle holy. The tabernacle in itself isn't holy. Even though it's very beautiful, even though it's made with gold, silver, bronze, linen, whatever, purple, scarlet yarn, whatever. But in itself, it doesn't carry any holiness. But the presence of God is what makes it holy. We might be from whichever country, whatever color, whatever education, whatever wealth, doesn't really matter. What really matters is the presence of God that makes us holy. It's God living in us that makes us holy. God wants to be with us, but there's holiness to it. Verse 3 says that let them bring gold and silver and bronze. I'm not going into details of it, but just want to, because that was what God was reminding me. Gold was in the holy of holies. And then you, when you moved further, there was gold, but then they started to even make with silver as you move further out. And the bronze is used on the outer tent wall, on the lever, on the altar of sacrifice, the bronze is used. So basically everything in the temple is sectioned by the curtains and the more dense and ornate they become, the closer one would get to the holy presence of God. Tabernacle expresses the seriousness of saying progressive holiness as we move closer to God. As you move closer to the holy of holies, the preciousness of matter, the metals that was used, that can be seen. The most holy place, the holy of holies, there was only gold there. And what it shows is that the scarce it is, the rarer the metal, it's more precious. You don't find gold as much as you find bronze or, or iron. So it expresses the, the progressive holiness. Just a, a, a significant thing 
Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says, without holiness, no one can see God. Without holiness, no one can see God. Almost 10 years ago, I heard a preaching where somebody said that churches these days has everything but the holiness. That's what the missing part is. But God dwells in holiness here, and He's the one who actually makes us holy. As I said, that it's the presence of God that makes the temple holy. Temple in itself is not holy. The other fascinating thing that I learned here is that God Himself gave the design. They were supposed to do exactly how God told them to do. But the design was given by God Himself. So the second point is, complete obedience is the key. It's same as the, I don't know, I, I believe that you would remember the last time when I preached it was from the life of Noah. And even in that, there was this point that the key point in the, in the project, in the Noah's time, was the complete obedience. Because the future of the humanity depended upon the complete obedience of Noah to what God said. And even to Noah, God said that how long the ship, the ark would be, how high, how wide, and how many sections in that, and what wood to use, and all those things. Everything depended upon the complete obedience of Noah. In the same way, you'll read in the Bible, uh, chapter 25, verse 9, then verse 40, and then chapter 26, verse 30, it says, do exactly as I show you. These things caught my attention, you know. God says, do exactly, and do exactly I have shown you. Do exactly that I, I tell you. Why does it really matter? It really matters because God is the architect. God is the one who has presented this design. God is the one who wants it to be like this. God is the one who says that I have plans for you. He knows everything. But he's so gracious. He will always, because he loves we, we sang a song. I love that song. You give light. You are love. He does not just love us, but he himself is love. It's not just a part of his character. He himself is love. Nothing else comes out of it. If you would just squeeze the, the rose, the smell of the rose would come out of it. No other smell. Because that's the quality of rose. So God in any situation, he would be loving. No matter what. He just doesn't love us, but he himself is love. Such a mighty God. We as human think too much intellectually. And, I'm, and if I really uh, hurt you in, in this thing, please forgive me. Uh, I'm not criticizing anything, but God gave me to say this word. That we think too much intellectually. When we pray... Our intellect comes because we have gained so much in here that sometimes even that becomes a stumbling block in our prayers. Because we know what are the logical things that can happen. But God is not bound in anything. No time, no space, no matter, nothing. No situation, nothing. God can do anything and everything. The things that seem to be impossible, He does that and we all know that. But even then, I will say about myself, sometimes when I pray, my intellect comes, it becomes the enemy. 
I just pray with faith and I want God to do that and I know God can do that, but still my intellect comes. How will that be possible? How will he do it? Deep inside of me, I know that. And that's the struggle that everybody has, I believe. At least I have. But then God says that like a childlike faith, we need to approach God. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, he says, Trust on the Lord. Do not lean on your own understanding. But just rely on God. And he will direct you. He will make your paths straight. So it's all about living with faith. So, so important. The complete obedience is the key. God wants to dwell with his people. He wants to live with us. But he also wants that we should do exactly that he says. It's not about culture. It's not about language. It's not about country. It's not about currency. Nothing. All has to do with what he says. And our ears are ready. David says that you spoke once and I heard twice. But now it's the other way around. He speaks so many times and we don't even hear once. But David says that you speak once and it echoes. I hear twice. Because it echoes inside of me that God has said me this. God has told me to do this. So amazing. The tabernacle was not merely an interpretation of a general concept. It was a pre precise build out of a revealed design. God already told what to do. God is building his own house among the Israelites. God is building his own house among the Israelites, though he did it through the workmanship of the Israelite craftsmen, they did not think up a house and then offer it to him. They were smart, they were capable, capable craftsmen, but God didn't say that you think up how it should look like and then you offer it to me. No. God even told Moses who should be the people who will be doing all this work. God, God gifted them uh, these talents, these skills. So they did not think up a house and offer it to him, but rather he revealed what his house was to be like and graciously allowed them to do it for him. God allowed them to do it for him, but everything God told them to do. In the same way, Jesus said, I will build my church. Are you with me? Is everybody with me? <gasps> we have to be. <laughs> Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't say, I will build your church. And he didn't say, you will build my church. He said, I will build my church. But the people with whom he's talking, what he meant was that I want you to partner with me. Because I'm going to build my church. I know how it should look like. But you have to be submissive, obedient to every step I, that I tell you to do. Do exactly as I tell you to do. It's beyond everything. What God has planned for us. So where is the gospel in this? Because if we talk from the scripture and if we don't mention about Jesus, it's incomplete. So where is the gospel in all of this that we are talking about? Which is what makes Jesus coming to earth so magnificent? I hope you know the picture of that tabernacle, how it looked like, the Holy of Holies, the holy place, and then the uh, the lampstand, the, the, the table of the bread, and 
Jesus is the final tabernacle because he is the tent in which God fully dwells in flesh. That's what John chapter 1 verse 14 says. He tabernacled among us in Jesus. But Jesus just doesn't fulfill the the tabernacle itself, but every part of the tabernacle is fulfilled in Jesus. How? He's the actual holy of holies because he's the actual presence of God. It's in Colossians chapter 1 verse 19. He is the actual presence of God. So he is himself the holy of holies. Secondly, he is the bread of life who is present for his people, for them to be satisfied and be filled. And no gap. Nothing that's... Uh, that's just wanting. All that the hunger and thirst that we have can be fulfilled only in Christ Jesus. Thirdly, Jesus is the light of the world that shines on them eternally with his protection. That lampstand. He himself is the light in John chapter 8 verse 12. And then he's the final sacrifice on the altar. He's the final. No more sacrifices needed. He's the final sacrifice on the altar that allows us to enter into the holy place of God. He's the one through whom we enter the holy place of God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, we can read that. And at Jesus' death, the curtain covering the holy of holies ripped open to show that there is no longer separation from God and his people. All who belong to Jesus have been turned into little tabernacles in which he dwells through the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. And eventually... Jesus will return and transform the whole world into his new tabernacle. Revelation chapter 21 verse 3. For he will dwell in it with us forever. That's the story that God taught me through these chapters. Very important that he wants to dwell with us. Are we ready for his presence to dwell among us? It's not about, and it's super easy actually to, to ask our desires and share our desires with God. And we do that all the time. I do it all the time. But again, the important thing is to shut down all the voices, all the sounds of this world and our own flesh and, the, and everything that seems very nice to us. But then again, finding the voice of God in that. Because he wants to dwell among us. And he dwells already. Because the Holy Spirit is in us. But people who are led by the Holy Spirit are actually the sons of God. And the second point is that complete obedience is what's the key. That will really make people understand the need of the tabernacle among his people. Last night, I was just having a prayer walk, 10.30 at night and almost at 10.38, as I was praying, God gave me this, this thing to, and, and it was a thought, and it said that whatever you truly desire in your heart is what actually directs you, is what actually leads you. Whatever we desire, truly desire, because whenever we'll think that would be the first thing, the priority that we pray for, in everything, that shapes us. This world 
loving the world and having the world as a priority. It's just stuff and perishable and temporary, which will go and fade away and just be destroyed at one point. But one who is stick to the God, one who is stick to his word, one who is stick to the Holy Spirit, becomes one spirit with him in fellowship. And whatever God wants, his will be done. And let his kingdom come as it is in heaven, so it shall be on the face of the earth. And we are the carriers of that light. We are the carriers of the presence of God. So the life question before we just pray, life question for us is, do people experience the presence of God through our lives? When people see us, do they get excited to know about what we believe, whom we believe, and how is our life different from the life of the people of this world? That is why God wanted to dwell among his people. So everything that they do, God should be the center of their life. That's why God wants to dwell among his people. And that's why he gave us the Holy Spirit, so that our lives should be different than the lives of the others. And people should be attracted like a magnet to know what's going on in this person's life. We are the little tabernacles where Jesus dwells. Shall we all pray? Lord Jesus, thank you. We surrender and we submit. Thank you for loving us so much. We wouldn't be here if you weren't leading us. We wouldn't be here praising you, worshiping you, meditating on your word if you wouldn't have brought us this far. But Lord, every time when we are together in worship, in prayer, in word, we just want to surrender, Lord, and we just want to grow more and more in you. Let your presence become stronger and stronger every day, every moment. And let us be humble, Lord. Teach us to be humble. Teach us to love others. Teach us to forgive others. Teach us to depend upon you, O Lord. And teach us, Lord, that you love us so much that you want to dwell in us, among us, forever. Because we are your hands and your feet. And you walk in us and through us, Lord. And also teach us, Lord, to be completely obedient to you, no matter what. And let our lives experience revival every single day. We thank you, Lord, for everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.